0: had a great week here at Pippin and I want to say thank you to the elders to the congregation uh, for Randy for saying all these nice things about me I don't deserve every night and uh, for the food that we had on Sunday and the hospitality that you have shown and to every person that's been here this week to attend faithfully this is a great congregation of the Lord's people and I'm proud to call you my brothers and sisters in Christ And we're gonna be shoulder to shoulder working in the kingdom of God together. And I'm thankful that we have such brethren like you to work with. And I feel like that you're a part of my family. I really do. And I hope that you know that uh, I'm here to serve you and help you as a brother in Christ as long as I'm in this area. And I hope that you'll come to me for anything that you ever need. I'm just really grateful for all that you've done this week for me and my family. It's Thursday night. Some people would say, that's a pretty long meeting going all the way through Thursday. But some of you know that you probably had some in the past that went for two weeks if you go back far enough. In fact, I always like to tell the story that Jay Lockhart told me when he first started preaching the gospel. Jay Lockhart, incidentally, is going to do our meeting in October. So if you want to come and hear him speak, you'll be blessed. And we'll, of course, be sending those flyers out at the proper time. But I preached at the New Providence Church in 1999 to 2003. And it was really, in in one sense, my first work, full time work, although I'd done some other work. But Amber and I were then married, and we began to have children then. And uh, we just really settled down to that place. And so I kind of call that the first church I worked with all the time. And it just so happened that Jay started that church at that church as well back in 1958. And he said when he first came there, and he was about 18 or 19, to start preaching some, coming from Freed Hardeman and traveling out there to the country, they asked him to preach a two-week gospel meeting, a two-week meeting. He said, I had two sermons. That's all I ever preached. So imagine every single day he had to write a sermon. And the people would gather, and he preached the gospel. So um, Thursday is not too deep into the week, if you put that in comparison to the way things used to be. And I know that the people here at Pippin especially have faithfully been here every night in strong attendance and others as well. And I'm blessed for that. I also want to say something about my wife and kids. Um, Amber is not here tonight. The boys are also not here tonight. I wish that they were. Last night, of course, they were involved in their regular duties at the Willow Avenue Church. And Amber teaches a young ladies class there. And the kids are very involved in the youth group. So they stayed there last night and tonight unfortunately uh, Daniel's spring band concert had been scheduled from way way back and we didn't know there'd be a conflict there so we kinda had to split time and of course Alyssa got to choose where she was gonna go and she chose the gospel meeting so I give her lots of credit and uh, she wants to be here and be here with her dad but I have a great wife and family that support me Uh, we're working all the time amber works all day and then she's been here every night faithfully and she's made sure that i had my tie and my shirt every night and that i was fed and ready to go and then of course she is actually going to leave as soon as school is over tomorrow to drive to illinois to do a ladies day and she'll be there all weekend and she'll come back and we 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 try to do a lot of work for the lord but sometimes uh doing this work is challenging and i ask your prayers upon us i I've been talking about the family all week, but I hope that you know that I'm, I'm really preaching to myself. Uh, I have still a fairly young family. Our goal, our number one goal, is to get them to heaven. To get them to heaven. That's our goal. All of our goals, hopefully, is to get to heaven. That's the main thing. Whatever it takes to get to heaven, that's what we want to do. So if God can tell us in his word how to get there, we're going to walk the path he has for us to walk. If he's going to lay down principles for our family to be successful, we're going to listen to what he has to say. Makes sense to me that since he created the world, and he created you and me, and he's preparing a place for us, we might want to listen to what he has to say. He's the only one who really knows how to get us there, and we have to listen to him, we have to obey him. And coupled with that, of course, is the reality That no one loves us like God loves us. No one does. No one ever will. We're going to go into relationships. We're going to be in families. And and families even understand this, that we don't always treat each other the way that we should. Sometimes we let each other down, maybe unintentionally, just because of our human weaknesses. But God loves perfectly. He commands us perfectly. He guides us perfectly. He's given us a structure that he calls his family, the church. And although it's filled with imperfect people it has a perfect message it has been purchased by a perfect savior and it can perfect us and make us complete if we follow according to god's will and we do everything that he would want us to do so i look back and i think about what brought us to this place why am i here in 2016 and why are you here And who are the people that came before us, and what has all this meant from the very foundation of what God has created to bring us to this moment today? We all realize, don't we, that there's no way that we'd be here, would have been here all week long, if it were not for Jesus Christ. He is what has brought us together. His sacrifice, His love, the plan of God, the providence of God, that we would be here in this place to hear His word and have the opportunity to be saved. I hope that we understand how important that is, and I hope that we appreciate it. You know, there are people all over the world that are never going to hear the saving message of the gospel. And yet here we are with the freedom to assemble and the freedom to choose where we're going to spend eternity and to hear the most beautiful message that's ever been told, the good news that Jesus died for our sins. So I went back to Genesis chapter 12 and read this. Let's look at it again, Genesis chapter 12. I began with this passage, but this is God's plan. After the fall of man, after the sin that cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, after the world became so wicked that God had to cleanse the earth and start it afresh, there was a man by the name of Abram, a man of faith. And God chose Abram to begin his family tree. And he tells him to leave the place that he's been living. Leave his father's house. A 75-year-old man having to leave everything that he's ever known and by faith go to a place that had not yet been seen by Abram. And Genesis chapter 11 says he went out not knowing where he was going. Hebrews chapter 11 says he went out not knowing where he was going. He did this by faith. And notice in verse 3 that through Abraham and of course, through the seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if we were going to trace our spiritual family tree back somewhere, we might want to begin with Abraham. He was the father of the faithful. When the New Testament writers talk about being Christians, it talks about be, they talk about our father Abraham or being the seed of Abraham or receiving the promises of Abraham. Now, the Jews thought that was only coming to them. But if you would, look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Very clearly, Paul says that this this blessing was to come to all. All of the families of the earth would be blessed, including you and me. Verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed... Is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is Christ. Who was the real seed of woman from Genesis chapter 3? It was the Christ And that seed, that Christ, made it possible for all of us to receive eternal redemption. What what God was telling Abram was, there is going to come through your family, through your lineage, an answer to the problem of sin. And when that took place, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Family tree. What does your family tree look like? You know, this is a, a time in our world because of technology uh, where we can do a lot of research into different things and a lot of people are really big into genealogies and going to courthouses and traveling places and looking up historical records and a lot of these things now that have always just been in books or being put online and and there's more access to those things and a person can probably trace their family heritage back quite a ways maybe some of you know things that go back to the Civil War maybe to the Revolutionary War maybe all the way over into Europe I know if I look on my father's side and his mother and then his mother's father and then his father's father we can find out that a lot of us came from Germany I mean I I had enough German in me that my great 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 grandfather's name was Adolf now don't mix him up with the other Adolf I don't want to get mixed up with that But as a six-year-old, he came over on the boat into Ellis Island, and he came into this country. We can search, research our family tree. And a lot of what has happened in the past has brought us to where we are today. I can say very clearly, at least for me, may not be the same for you, but for me, I definitely owe it to my parents that I'm a Christian because they raised me in the church. Now, that's not always the way that it was. In fact, my grandfather, who became a preacher, was the son of a man who was an alcoholic, who never became a Christian, but he himself found a way to the Lord and became a Christian and decided to preach the gospel. So it doesn't really matter altogether where you came from. It matters what you do today. You might have not come from a Christian heritage, or maybe your Christian heritage goes back for generations. On one side of my family, through my grandmother, my mother's mother, We had preachers all the way back to the Restoration Movement in the 1700s and 1800s in the state of Kentucky. So, you know, you have all these different people that make up who you are and you realize that they all have a little bit to do with what you have become. In fact, someone has said, when you think about what you are and when you guess about what you'll be, there's no reason to look very far. Just look at your family tree. But again, there's influence there. And yet every single individual has a responsibility to make a decision regarding Jesus Christ and the way they're going to live their life. You can look into the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18 and verse 20, where it tells us that the soul that sins will die. And we do not inherit our father's sins but instead the righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself because each and every one of us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, is going to have to give an account of the things which we've done. So we are individuals, and yet we have had an influence, a heritage, if you will, that has helped to bring us to where we are today. And as I said earlier this week, if you've had a Christian father or mother, or maybe an aunt and uncle, or a grandparent, or someone in your family that has helped lead you to Christ, maybe even just your spouse. You need to be thankful for that person. And you need to make sure that the future generation is going to receive the blessings that you have received. We have a great family tree, if you think about it. I mean, we come from Abraham. Who wouldn't want to be like Abraham? We come from people like Moses, and Caleb, and Joshua. We have come as the church from people like Peter and Paul. We have a great family heritage. In fact, the Hebrew writer says, in thinking about all these heroes of faith, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking back, think of, if you will, someone in your family, either in your physical family or in your spiritual family, that fought the good fight, that finished the course, that kept the faith. Do you have someone like that in mind? I remember... A friend um, that was a member at the Pulaski Street congregation. He was 84 years old when he found out that he had lung cancer, and his very aggressive form of lung cancer. And he was a pretty quiet fellow, but he was always faithful in worship. He and his wife they raised two Christian boys. And I remember as he was coming to his final moments, walking into the nursing home where he was being made comfortable. And asking him if he had anything to say. And just barely with a little bit of a voice that he had left. All he had to say. These were his last words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Isn't that an awesome thing to say? And I think that that's a part of my family tree. Even though he wasn't my brother by physical blood. He was my brother by spiritual blood. And I look to his example, and I want to follow that example. And so because we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's also be successful and let's be faithful no matter what we may go through in life. I know that you have people in your life that you look to, and maybe even people that have died, family members that you want to honor by the way that you live your life. We have a lot to live up to when we think of our spiritual family tree. Now, when I was a kid, I remember we had this big book underneath our coffee table. Now, does anybody have coffee tables anymore? I don't know if anyone hardly has coffee tables, but when I was growing up in the 70s, everyone had a coffee table. And every kid had a coffee table scar. I've got one right here, all right, because of jumping off the couch or something like that and catching the corner of the coffee table. All of my friends had one, about three to four stitches right underneath their chin. But underneath that coffee table, there was this big green book. And inside that book were these big pictures of me and my sister, starting from the six-month-old picture to the year-old picture and to the two years and three years. Now, I noticed there were a whole lot more pictures of my sister, but she came first, you know, and that's kind of how they do that. You get that first kid, and you take every single picture, and you you make sure that you boil all their their bottles and everything like that, and just everyone pays attention to them. By the third or fourth kid, they drop their bottle. You wipe it off. You give it to them. You move on, right? Because you've d- been there and done that. So I tried not to get over the tried to get over the fact that there was more pictures of my sister than me. But but under that, at the very end of that book, there was a big fold-out of our family tree. He was even had a picture of a tree, and on that tree, it had these little lines there where you could trace back your heritage. And we would try. We had, of course, I had learned back to about three or four generations past my grandparents, the names of these people that I never met but had something to do with me coming into this world. I still get to talk to my grandparents any time that I want, which is really pretty incredible. I've mentioned this many times. I'm 42, going to be 43. My sister's 45, going to be 46. We have all our grandparents. I really don't know anybody that old that has both sets of grandparents, maternal and paternal uh, grandparents, and that we can call them and that we can have regular conversations with them and they're all Christians. And so that's a great blessing because they get to tell us about things in the past that they learned growing up in the church and specifically my grandfather because he preached for 63 years before he had to stop. But in thinking about that and thinking about that, that influence and the strength of, of that, the purpose that they served, the point that I want to make simply is this. There are people right now that are very small, and there are those that are yet unborn that you have a part of. You have a part of them. Think about that. There are people in your family that are not yet even in existence yet. My, my mom talks about this little phrase she used to use. When before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, and I don't really know exactly what that means, but I just knew that meant before you existed, okay, there were certain things that we thought about, did, and so on. You see, the decisions that you're making now are going to influence the things that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to do. We talked Sunday afternoon about leaving a family legacy, not just leaving an inheritance, a physical blessing, but leaving a spiritual blessing. It's important for us to recognize just how significant that can be. Because the future of the Lord's church depends upon it. It depends on gospel preachers that are not afraid to preach the truth. Upon elders that are going to stand behind the Bible and defend it. Upon members that are going to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And upon families being made strong and keeping strong so that their children and grandchildren can have the type of structure that God intended for the family and also that would be inviting to the spiritual truths that he teaches in his word. So just very briefly, I've decided to get an acrostic together for you tonight to talk about your family tree. What do you need to put into that tree? My wife would be really proud of me. These are my notes tonight. Now I've had about seven pages or five pages or four pages of notes in the past. She would say that if you have a size of notes like this, he's going to talk forever. (laughs) But if he has the notes he has to stay on, then he'll finish at some point. But I will finish at some point. But I want to talk about F-A-M-I-L-Y family. And I want to begin with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If we want to talk about Abraham as the beginning of the family, we might also want to talk about the people at at Pentecost as the beginning of our spiritual family because this was the day when the family of God, the church of Christ, the Lord's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus said was near and was going to happen before some of the people that were present would taste death. It came to be on the day of Pentecost. And everyone was brought into the family of God through the blood of Christ, adopted it, as it were by the blood of Jesus and by our Father as our sins were cleansed. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, when we see people receiving the word gladly, verse 41, and being baptized into Christ and being added to the church, 3,000 souls, and verse 47 says that God continued every day adding folks to the church, those that gladly received that word and were baptized. It says in verse 42 about that early church, about that family, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Verse 44, Now all who believed, who were the people that believed? Those that heard the word, received it with gladness, and were baptized and added to the church, They were together and had all things in common. Again, it says about 3,000 at that point. You go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, it says the number of those who believed were about 5,000. So again, we think about the fact that they received the same message. They responded in the same way. They were immersed in Christ for the mission of their sins. God added them to the church. It went from 3,000 to 5,000. They believed together and they had all things in common and they became a family. And that's why I said... Pippin is my family. Willow Avenue is my family. I can go to congregation of the Lord's people all around the globe and talk about people that are my family. Members of my family that I've never met. This is where it began when the gospel was preached and people obeyed the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that he has called us into this fellowship through Jesus Christ his son. He made us members of his family. Remember what I said before A few days ago that you didn't get to choose what family you were born into. You just had to deal with it. And I guess probably all of us have a few crazies in the family, right? We also didn't really choose what spiritual family we were born into. We obeyed the gospel, and God planted us into the church. And he allowed us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We make a decision to be a part of that family, but God is the one who ordained it. And it says here in verse 42 that they continued in fellowship with one another. And I'm gonna submit to you that if a family's gonna be close, it's gonna spend time together. It's just gonna spend time together. Churches that don't grow, don't fellowship. They come to worship, it's very rigid, they hear a message, they sit in their pew, the amen is said. And then I I used to say this at Pulaski Street because we had about 400. And when I was kind of giving them a hard time about leaving too soon and not sticking around to talk, I said, we got the Pulaski Street 400, and that's people running out the door. You know, instead of the, you know, something at Talladega or something like that, we had our own form of it, everybody in a hurry. And instead, we ought to stay close together. Something happened about three years ago at Willow Avenue, my favorite Sunday night ever at Willow Avenue. This is what happened. We had a really bad storm right when Amen was said. I mean, it was lightning and thunder and pouring and nobody could get to their car. And that was amazing because everyone had to talk and everyone was gathered in, in the foyer and we were all watching it together. And I thought, wouldn't it be, uh, would it be a great thing if every single time that amen was said, there was a storm <laughs> because people wouldn't leave and, and they'd spend time talking to each other. Amber and I have classically been some of the last people to ever leave the building. And it's not because the preacher locks the door. But the reason why is because if we leave, then we're leaving the family. And we just kind of stick around until all the family leaves. We enjoy spending time with our family. Again, if if a group at home is not staying at home, then there's not going to be an intimacy and a closeness that's needed for that family to grow. We've lost the kitchen table. We've lost it. We used to surround it. But now instead we're grabbing mcdonald's on the way to the next thing and i don't think that's always a good thing families need to be committed to making sure that they have appointments to spend together and fellowship with one another that's how we have all things in common that's how we share our day and talk about our problems and that's how we solve them together and if you can't solve them and and be with the family of god and love that then i don't know who you can do that with i've always thought it was funny there's some people that won't stay for fellowship meals there's just a small group of them but they just never stay for a fellowship meal now there's some other people that would never miss one I'm kind of in between and that as far as the food itself I could take it or leave it but the fellowship the being there with people that's the main point finding a reason to spend time together And I've said this many times and I'll continue to say it. I say it all the time at Willow Avenue. My favorite days of the week are Sunday and Wednesday because that's when I get to be with the Lord's people and be encouraged by them and receive a message from God's word. Our fellowship should be something not only that we do but that we desire. And I would also submit to you that you need to spend time with God's people outside of the services of the church. That's what they did here. They didn't just break bread when they came together to commune before the Lord's Supper. They also broke bread from house to house, and that means they were having meals with each other. When's the last time you had someone from the church over to eat in your home? Or maybe a visitor to be, eat in your home. That breeds closeness and binds people together. you got to spend time. All relationships are built on really these two principles, time and communication, time and communication. Marriages are going to be strong when there's time and communication spent together, the right kind of communication and quality time. Another thing that we need, and I want to look at Luke chapter 21 for this. If you want to have a family tree that's strong all the way down to the roots, then I want you to look at what it says here in Luke 21, the first four verses. He looked and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. This is Jesus, of course, viewing this situation. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty, look at this, has put in all the livelihood that she had. All the livelihood that she had. What does the family need? It needs all. It needs all you have to give. What does God expect from us? Does he expect us to be somewhat interested in the church? To be casually Christian? Does he expect for us to give most of ourselves to him? No. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. You know, God really already has everything else. The world and all that's in it, the the cattle on a thousand hills, they all belong to God. There's only one thing that he allowed to kind of drift out there that he wasn't going to make belong to him or own, and that was us. He gave us freedom of choice. He gave us the own decision to decide whether or not we want to belong to God or not. But he says that if you come and you decide to give yourself, the only way that you can do it is by giving all. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You have to give all. And you know why? Because the only way that Jesus can be Lord and master, that's what that word means, is if we give all. If we keep even just a small part of that to ourselves... Then Satan will use that and he'll work with that and he'll slowly take us little by little back to him and back into the world. So give the family all. Why is it that, again, families struggle? Because people are holding back. Family members are holding back from each other. And we're not giving our complete selves into that relationship. You know, when two people stand before a company of folks and the the preacher's there and he says, Are you going to make this commitment basically to give everything that you have and you're going to be exclusive to this person forever? We make that decision. We say, yes, I do. I do. But then we go out. In many ways, we break what we promised. Oh, we may never be unfaithful to our spouse, but in many ways we stopped thinking about the level of that commitment that we were willing to share when we stood before that group of people and before God. So it's a serious commitment. Commitment involves all. A third thing I think is important in the family tree. Look over, if you will, in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Now, Colossians chapter 3 tells us about if you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Let your mind be on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is our life, appears, then you'll also appear with Him in glory. If you were raised with Christ, raised how? raised out of the waters of baptism, raised out of that watery tomb to walk in newness of life. He's talking about people that had been immersed for the remission of their sins. All these sins had been forgiven, and now they were ready to walk and live the life that God had intended from them from the foundation of their being. And he says, if you've made that decision, this is what you need to do. And he goes on to say, I want you to get rid of all these things. Folks, I'm not going to lie to you. If you become a Christian, you're going to have to get rid of some things. You're going to have to set them aside because they're things of the world. They're not things of God. And if you're going to become a home Christian, you're going to have to put on some things. You're going to have to put on spiritual things. My grandfather taught me a song during the time where I used to help him with vacation Bible school. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. That's kind of what's going on. You're getting rid of that Robe that you wore of sin and death that was heavy, burdened with the guilt of your poor choices and that was going to doom you eternally. And you're happily shedding that, but to put on a new robe with a new desire for the things that are good and right. The white robe, not because you're sinless, but because he was and because the power of his blood will make you clean. And here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, when he's talking about what we need to put on, he says, Therefore, as the chosen of God, the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of Perfection. We have two of our letters in the word family here that I'm going to look at, but the first one here, go back, if you will, to verse 12. Putting on tender mercies. You know what families need? They need mercy. Now, we have talked about mercy and grace. They're very closely linked. They're two of the most beautiful words in the Bible because they help us think about the power of forgiveness in spite of our sins. Grace is unmerited favor. That is, God looks upon us in a positive way, even though we haven't earned it. So what did God do? He offered Jesus Christ. He offered redemption and salvation and a way to be cleansed from our sins, not by meritorious works, are we saved, but rather by faith, according to his grace, and upon our obedience, which, of course, contacts the blood of Jesus. We don't earn salvation. We receive salvation when we obey and we do that by faith because of His grace. He did that for us. He did something we could not do. He supplied the perfect sacrifice for sin. He supplied His Son. That's grace. Unmerited favor, looking upon us in a positive way, even though we don't deserve to be looked at that way. But mercy is a little bit different. Mercy is when the punishment needs to come down and you decide not to punish. Now, this happened the other night at our house, okay? Okay. Because we had two younger kids who got into a fight. And then you have to decide to what degree is the punishment going to come. Now, admittedly, we didn't talk very much about spanking this week in the family. But by all means, spank your kids. Okay? It even says in the book of Proverbs, beat your child with a rod, he will not die. Now, we don't use any rods, and I guess we don't really do any beating. But it's not going to hurt your child. In fact, it says you're going to save his soul from death. You're going to deliver him from death. I'm sad by the fact that when I'm in the grocery store and my kid needs a whooping, I have to look around to see who's watching. Okay? Because sometimes they just need to be straightened out. Now you're going to be turned in if you do that because we don't respect God's will for discipline. So I would encourage you when the time is right and the need is there, don't be afraid to spank your kids. I don't know about you, but I got whipped plenty. Um, Someone told me the other day they didn't get whippings. They got whoopings. Okay, there was a difference. A whipping was probably just something small. A whooping was the real deal. But there was a symbol of authority for me in our bathroom and it was called, literally, it was a razor strap. Now, I never saw my dad clean his razors on it, but I saw it do some other things that were pretty amazing. And uh, Every time I went into that bathroom, we just had one bathroom, we had no air conditioning or heating in our house there in Los Angeles. We just opened the windows and and we got box fans and we hoped for good weather. I mean, that's what we did. But we had just one bathroom among all of us and I had an older sister and a mom, so I really got to even go in there anyway. But when I did go in there, hanging from that bar next to the commode was that razor strap and I knew what it meant. And I would sometimes see it and I'd say, I hope I don't see you later on. Okay, but there was times in which there needed to be discipline. Well, we had one of those moments the other night, and we decided that instead of using the tools we could have used, that there would be a different punishment, and we gave mercy. We allotted mercy. And let me tell you, it was appreciated. (laughs) Now, do we not appreciate mercy? And do we not need to extend mercy to one another? Why is it that families fight and they don't get over problems? Because we rarely extend mercy and forgiveness. You know what Jesus said? If you want to be forgiven your trespasses, you must also forgive men their trespasses. Mercy is something that we need to extend that needs to be regular. You know why? Because I believe that when the prodigal son left and he knew that he was absolutely wrong in every single way, he knew he could go home because even though he might not be able to be a son anymore, there would still be some mercy. That was the nature of his father, that there would be some leniency, that there would be some forgiveness, that his father was a good man and that he was a just man, and that in his mind he wouldn't hold it against his son, but there was always a place to go, and that place would be home. I don't know what your situation is in your family, and I know that you're going to have children that are going to get up, grow older, and that sometimes they might even stray away from the Lord. And and there's a difference between agreeing with what they're doing when they're behaving incorrectly and not having any mercy or somewhere for them to come when they try to make things right. I always knew that I could go home. But I will tell you this. When I got home, guess what? The razor strap was back in effect, and I knew that I was going to have to deal with it. My father one time, when he was about 19, decided that uh, he was smarter than his parents, I guess, Or at least he thought that he was gonna go out to the world and uh, he didn't need his parents to take care of him anymore. And he didn't like his dad's rules. So he decided he was gonna leave. And so my grandfather said, sayonara, good luck son, we're here if you need us. So he let him go to the school of hard knocks whose uh, school yell is ouch. And he found out that uh, it wasn't so easy making bills and paying for things. And after about six months of that, he asked to come back home. And guess what my grandpa said? If you come back home, all the old rules are still in effect. But there's mercy. But there's mercy. And that's what we need to extend to our families. And I, of course, stands for instruction. Train up in a child the way that he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. That doesn't mean that you're going to train a child in such a way that they're never going to do the wrong thing. Now, I believe what that means is when we instill principles in our children, those principles stay with them. I know that when I came and got into college and I didn't have to be around my parents anymore, that I still felt like my parents were right here all the time. And I really kind of hated them for that. And then later on, I thanked them for that. But there were situations that I would get into that I knew that were probably compromising situations, and I had to make a decision. And my parents had told me again and again, do not do that. Do not do that. Or do this. And when they taught me those things, when I was older, those things did not depart from me. Did I always make the right decision? No. But that, see, my family tree was talking. There was fruit from, that came from that tree. And, and when I, I tell you what, whenever I took of that fruit and I ate of that fruit, I found out that the tree knew what it was talking about. And so there's instruction. Ephesians chapter 6 And verse 4, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let me tell you something, parents. Your most important job right now, if you have people in your home that are younger than you, that depend on you, is not how much money you make, it's not how well they do in school, it's not how good they are at athletics, but it is whether or not they know God and whether or not they respect God and His Word and whether or not they know that this is the most important thing going. A relationship with the Father and being a part of the church. Instruction. That doesn't mean that you have to be the most eloquent individual. My father was a man of few words. And after he passed away, I have this uh, sign in my, in my uh, office now. My mom gave it to me on Father's Day a couple of years ago. My father didn't tell me how to live. He showed me, or he lived, and he, he let me watch him do it. He lived and let me watch him do it. You know, the power of an example is sometimes all the instruction that we need. Well, let's finish up our acrostic. We'll talk about putting on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. And it says there, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When there is love in a family, when there is, and remember what agape love is, it is thinking of someone before you think of yourself. That's really what it is. It is always wanting the best for someone and doing whatever it takes to make sure that that best can be a possibility for them. Whenever there is love, there's a solution to the problems that exist within the family. You know, when people have conflicts in family and and they break up and they don't continue to have a relationship, what do we wonder? We wonder whether or not there's really love. I mean, if love is the bond of perfection, if we are binding us together, Lord, bind us together with love, if it is that thing that we talk about as a common love that brings us like a cord together, then we would, would we not question the genuineness of that love if someone could easily break away from it or not feel like the relationship that we've been building is very important or significant? Let me tell you something. Every single time a person leaves the church, it breaks my heart. And it breaks the heart of God. And the reason why is because God loves them and I love them. And I do not want them to be lost. Maybe they're going through some difficult problems. Maybe they might not even be very happy with me, but that's not the way that I want it to be. And that's not the way God wants it to be. If we really love each other, we're going to show that. And it says in first Corinthians chapter 13, that love Never fails. If you've tried everything else and it's not working, the question is, have you tried love yet? And I'm not talking about the type of love that the world discusses. I'm talking about the love that says, As I have loved you, you also love one another. There must be love. Well, the final final thing that the family needs is it starts with a why. Look at First Corinthians chapter three and verse nine. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. Now, they used to have in those recruitment offices a picture of Uncle Sam. Remember? With the hat and the stripes and the finger pointing. And he said, Uncle Sam wants what? What does God want? And what does the family need? You. I mean, you look at the family tree. And I looked at that in the back of that book. And guess who was at the bottom? I was. Because if I wasn't a part of the family tree, then I wasn't in the family. That's why the whole rest of the tree was significant because I was a part of it. And you know, people can come into the worship services of a congregation and they can sit there and they can do that for years and never become members of the family, never become members of the church. And I wonder, when then does the church even become significant to them? When does it really matter? It doesn't matter unless the church has you. And as far as the family's concerned, you're not significant in that family until you're a part of it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. I think we've pounded this enough into our children now that if someone says, and if I even just say, well, it's time to go to church, they'll go, Dad, you remember, we're going to worship. We are the church. I'm like, yes. They get it. Okay, they get it. We don't, we don't go to church. Now, we say that all the time, and that's fine. I think we all understand what we're talking about. We're just saying we're going to assemble with the church. But don't let us ever have the mindset that what's going on in here is not going to go on out there. Okay? We're Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week because we've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And so everything that makes sense in here, and it's, well, it makes even better sense out there because who needs the Who needs to hear the message? Who needs the light and the salt? The world does. And so the church needs us to be that individual. I think about what God's family tree really looks like. In the picture of that old green book, there was a big trunk like a big oak tree. And all these big leaves and branches coming out. And that's what my family tree looked like, at least in that picture. When you're a kid, you really equate things with pictures and images and ideas. And then, of course, the lines of that tree and the names on it, that's what it looked like. And some people even put pictures of their family members in those places. That's what a physical family tree looks like. Do you know what God's family tree really looks like? It looks like an old rugged cross. That's what it looks like. The symbol of our tree is the tree upon which Jesus was willing to die. That's how we became members of the body of Christ. Something that was so evil, an instrument of torture and cruelty, became, well, a symbol of grace and mercy and love and sacrifice. And that's what makes it possible for us to be a part of the family tree Back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14 where he says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23, Jesus was cursed, he was afflicted, he was crucified, he was spit upon, he was beaten, he was punched in the face, he was blasphemed. People wagged their heads. They said, His blood be upon us and our children. And yet he he hung there, and he took it. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what our family tree really looks like. We don't get very far away from that tree. If we can remember the principles of that tree, then I think we're going to be okay. But what about you tonight? Is the family significant to you, the family of God? It's not if you're not in it. You may have been exposed to that, but God wants you to be adopted into it. He wanted that so much that he allowed Jesus to die for your sins. And I know what I have as a member of the church. I know what you mean to me and I mean to you. And I'm so thankful to be a part of the family of God. Do not live your life outside of the church because all the blessings are in Christ Jesus and all the promises are in him and amen to the glory of God through us. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian. If you've strayed from the family, come home. Won't you come while together we stand in sync?